Hello and welcome to episode 352 of the Fabulous Pelton Cast, sponsored by our friends at Pagliacci Pizza. I'm your co-host, Kevin Pelton. And I'm Tristan Carcino. And we are coming to you in different locations again this week. I'm in Seattle, Washington, home of the four-time WNBA champion Storm. And I'm in Renton, Washington, home of the Super Bowl 48 champion Seattle Seahawks. Well, I don't think we have quite as jam-packed an episode this week as last week when we had Mike Sean Dugar of The Athletic on to help us preview the Seahawks offseason we do have a special treat for you coming at the end of this week's there we episode. Go. Still, I want to say about Mike Sean, still relevant aside from the 45-minute aside about how there was no way Jacob Hollister was coming back. <laughs> that is outdated. That is an out. You could fast forward through it, did go I, right I, through it. Did I miss some Jacob Hollister news? Oh, wait. Was it, was it Nick Ballor? <laughs> yeah. Nick, Nick Ballor will always be Jacob Hollister to me. <laughs> Well, Except very... for the 45 minutes where I argued that Nick Ballore and Jacob Hollister are the same person. Very. I got a push notification about it on my phone. It was like, Seahawks agree to terms. And I was like, oh, damn. And I was like, with Nick Ballore. And I was like, oh, damn. <laughs> you thought it was going to be Gino? I just was like, the, the ESPN's at the point that they're sending out push notifications about this. I mean, they're sending out push notifications about my all-star grades. So. <laughs> that is true. You graded a bunch of people shooting threes and dunking with no defense. <laughs> if, if you could manage to have done that, they probably could send push notifications about anything. I didn't feel like there was a lot of response to Mike Sean's interview, which I thought was a great interview. Um, but then I thought to myself, when you do things right, People won't be sure you've done anything at all. And that's what that interview with Mike Sean was. We didn't we didn't say anything wrong enough. Well, if we record a podcast in a forest and no one hears it, uh, did we really? Re- I, I thought that we were going to have a lot more feedback on me <laughs> mixing up Fakasha and Bruschetta. I was mortified by it. There will it be no literally... feedback about me mixing up Jacob Hollister and Nick Ballore because there is no difference between <laughs> Jacob Hollister and Nick Ballore. Significant differences. Only one of them uh, was the intended receiver on a fourth down play where the Seahawks could have won the division, and one of them plays defense. <laughs> Does play defense sometimes. <laughs> Pretty substantial differences, I think. Well, uh, let's get into this if week's If you would have asked me which one played defense, I would have thought for quite a while about it. I feel like I have a very clear picture of Jacob Hollister, except that I get confused when I see the other, his brother who plays for the Titans. And I'm like, why is there, I believe that's Cody Hollister. Why is there this other receiver named Hollister? But that that is why Uh, people feel the same way when they see the two of us, although maybe they're not confused because we have different last names. Let's get into this week's beer from our friends at Matchless Brewing in Tumwater, Washington. It's the uh, Hop Tricks Fruity IPA, which uh, has a Tricks-esque can here. Okay. That definitely was quite appealing to me when I was checking for beer in Beer Star earlier today. Big Tricks guy. Here at Matchless, we were definitely <laughs> still, guy over here. still living the glory days of childhood, and we needed a beer that could be part of our complete breakfast. So we made an IPA with some of our favorite Fruity Hops like Centennial, Eldorado, Mosaic, and Topaz. We tested it, and we approved. Then, before we knew it, a giant white rabbit was trying to pluck that fruity, delicious IPA right out of our hands. Silly rabbit, hop tricks are for grown-ups. I just love the idea that you're like, oh yeah, that's good tricks branding. I, I mean, have to have it. 
I don't know the last time that I had tricks, but it definitely stands out as a, a can of beer. Okay. Well, as a reminder, people, we are getting closer to, is it, I believe it's actually two, two months, months from, two months as we record this, to April to 21st this at Belltown Yacht Club, Peltoncast Live Draft Edition 2023. You got to be there. That says it all. Uh, we are we are two months away from Peltoncast Live. We announced this one really early, way earlier than we've ever announced any Peltoncast Live. Uh, tickets are selling well. It's going to be an incredible night. We are back at Belltown Yacht Club, where there is a bathroom in the showroom area. You don't have to go to the pizza place next door. Uh, I honestly cannot wait for this this Peltoncast Live. This is the one that I've been most excited for for years. You know what to expect from Peltoncast Live. We are going you to were, have you have been excited for years about this podcast that we did not years. decide on. Until at least midway through the Seahawks season at earliest. <laughs> For until the first the time ever. crapped the bed. All four co-hosts of Talkin' Taco no, Time. No. Special guests. No, we cannot guarantee that. Again... Uncertain. We're hoping for the best for Randy's vacation that it gets canceled. <laughs> everyone We're wants against you, Randy. Not, even Randy wants it. I think. Come hungry. The crowning of Seattle's best donut after our long search for Seattle's best donut and an NFL draft preview with Ringer draft guru Danny Kelly. You could not want anything more beyond that. But there'll be exclusive merch to Pelton Cast Live. You're going to want this merch. I'm very, very excited about it. This is my favorite merch that we've ever done. It's it's getting rave reviews, I have to say. You you briefly teased it on Instagram and then deleted it. And it was like, why are we getting so many messages on Instagram? And that was why. It's 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 gonna be exciting when that actually happens. I, I our first piece of merch was a big red hat. So this, <laughs> can we set the bar of, low? Yeah, out of three, I feel like this one, uh, this is this is the one that I'm most excited for, though. Um, and I think people are going to be this. This is the the hype beast version of Pelton Cast merch. And I will say we're we're filling a void in society with this Pelton Cast merch. We're just doing a favor to all of society. A void in society, people. It's true. People have been clamoring for this particular merch, except this time it's talking. Something like that, yes. Anything more in Pelton Cast Live, or should we get into the toast? Let's get into the toast. We start with the congratulations to Seahawks wide receiver DK Metcalf on winning All-Star Celebrity Game MVP with 20 points, 10 rebounds, in four blocks, in a game that actually featured more defense than the actual NBA All-Star really? Game on Sunday night. I, I love there's the video that like kind of like broke Twitter for a little bit that Shannon Sharp posted of DK Metcalf, clearly faked, jumping up extraordinarily high, and then seeing him in the celebrity game later. He can't dunk, which is impressive. Oh, easy. But it, it was, a, it, I don't know if I would say easy. It was not like DK was way above the rim, right? NBA players who I mean, shove all their Matt arms McClung into the hoops level. nowadays. But like, he, he threw it down one-handed, but it was like, uh, he's, he's not doing this that often, right? Like DK yeah. was still a little bit excited that he dunked in a live action oh, game for sure. And then when you saw him jumping, it would be like, he's fucking leaping over ladders or whatever. Two people with the ball over their head. I mean, DK, his athleticism really shined in this setting. Uh, I just looked this up. He's the second NFL player to be named celebrity game. Every MVP. Do you know who the other one was? Also a wide receiver. There's your hint. This one famously played basketball earlier in there. I mean, I guess that could that could that could be a couple of people. Was but, it famously played basketball? 
I think maybe some semi-pro basketball, if I'm remembering correctly. Huh. Well, Tony Gonzalez would have been the obvious one, right? No, I'm sorry. Didn't I mean not like college basketball? Yeah, I, I, to be, like to clarify that, Tony Gonzalez, Antonio Gates would be the like. I'm kind of. I guess Tony Gonzalez maybe was too old to do it. I don't know. Oh, this played. player did play in the NCAA tournament in basketball. I guess I did. I did Ju- not know Julius that. Julius Peppers. No. Another wide receiver. I guess you said wide receiver. Huh. I got nothing. He wanted to play in summer league for the Kings, but was denied permission by his team, the Philadelphia Eagles, because it was T.O. was the oh. other two-time All-Star Celebrity Game MVP. He played in the NCAA tournament at McNeese State. He Is did that not. It? That's that's Steve McNair. You're thinking of. Oh wait, what was his? What school did he go to? He went to Tennessee Chattanooga. Oh okay. I I had no idea that he played basketball there and played in the NCAA tournament. So that was that's new to me. That's but that's cool. the level that DK Metcalf is operating on. He's taken over track. Yeah, yeah. He's matched Win Butler. <laughs> That's the <laughs> level Duncan, that DK Metcalf is operating on. <laughs> he's, ta- he's done track now. He's done basketball. Baseball spring training next? You know, Russell Wilson never really followed through with a full like spring training. That's still out there for DK. I'm just going to say I'm good. <laughs> All right, our next test, the Utah men's and women's basketball, who in a combined 4-0 and Last weekend, sweeping the Oregon schools, all of those games played at home. It was the first time they went a combined 4 0 in a weekend since March 4th through 7th, 2010. Also against the Oregon schools. I knew it had been a long time, but I was kind of shocked that it was that long ago. That gets like a woo toast. Hooray! Women's basketball on the rise. Yeah, yeah we'll be for that one. They, they get all the toast. <laughs> All right, congrats to former Sonics and Storm executive Billy McKinney, whose basketball jersey will be the first retired by Northwestern in any sport. They announced Sunday with McKinney in attendance as the team's radio analyst. McKinney, now the mayor of his hometown of Zion, Illinois, was executive vice president for nine years and also did color commentary the last three. All the other uh, successful people who work in sports from Northwestern are journalists, so they have no jerseys to retire. <laughs> I think it's more like, I mean, obviously they've had good players. Like, they went to the Rose Bowl. They've gone, they've done that. Yeah, it happened. Uh, I, I th- assume there just must have been a policy that they were, like, not retiring any jerseys, and now they are, and Billy McKinney is the first one. So, great honor. On a more somber note this week, we're remembering Simone Edwards, who died last week at age 49 after battling ovarian cancer. A member of the inaugural Storm team in 2000, Edwards was the last player from that team left with the Storm, playing six seasons in total. Edwards was a reserve on the 2004 team that won Seattle's first major pro sports title since 1979. Edwards was diagnosed with advanced stage ovarian cancer in 2021 in her native Jamaica, spent much of last summer in Seattle getting treatment and, you know, was gave an inspirational speech to fans during halftime of a game and uh, typically at games would sit behind us on press row. So it was terrific to see her throughout that season and obviously a terrific loss. Somebody who, you know, as much as they contributed on the court, we're going to remember Simone so much more for the positive attitude, the dancing, everything that she brought to the table from that standpoint, just a, a great part of the organization for many, many years. So, so tremendously sad news with her passing. All right, with that, I guess it's time to continue our search for Seattle's best donuts. And we do this week have a listener email and it comes to us 
from the aforementioned talking taco time co-host randy kote oh wow an email from randy yes now this is something i you could not tell me who is from and i would I... okay i could not sit idly by and let tristan's <laughs> comment on last week's podcast about top pot donuts stand without some hot takes of my own Tristan said something along the lines of paraphrasing when it comes to quality in relation to how big a donut chain is just look at top pot. The quality is bound to go down when you have that many locations in selling QFC stores. This is my opening to talk about my conspiracy theory. I am an all caps truther when it comes to again, all caps, the top pot donuts sold at QFC are not real top pot donuts. Oh yes. Oh my God. I'm happy. We need to like actually get to the bottom of this. I, I'm very curious. Uh, I have a coworker that would occasionally bring in donuts for the office. The donuts were the, quote, QFC Top Pot Donuts. It looks like a Top Pot box, but has a QFC logo in the corner. These donuts, yes, I'm spilling it the inferior non-Top Pot way to drive the point home. <laughs> and I'm, I, I, we're going to get to the bottom of donuts versus donuts at some point, too. Are truly garbage and are definitely... <laughs> Top pots. Not only do they not taste like real top pots, but there is no freaking way that you can get a dozen top pot donuts at QFC for ten ninety nine, and a dozen top pot donuts cost twenty one ninety nine. I get extra heated about this piece. The conversation came up immediately next to the convo about Safeway Albertsons donuts. Albertsons donuts were my primary donut growing up, and I think they are of decent quality. A Safeway Albertsons maple bar is far better than a fake Top Pot from QFC. Anyway, get a fake Top Pot donut from QFC and the same Top Pot donut from Top Pot and join me in exposing this lie, the big lie. Here's in donuts, Randy. I totally agree with Randy. I mean, they are- I don't know if I agree with Randy. But they're not the same donuts. They are. We know that they are not the exact same donuts between the two locations. The quality is much lower from the ones in the grocery store. I mean, I- I, I, I would I love like if we had a Kroger source here. I thought it was going to be, I thought Randy was going to dispute, was going to come out pro Top Pot. And I was going to say, I'm huge on Top Pot. This is no, I to me, Top Pot is like still up there near the top. But like <laughs> the, that it dilutes the product that they are marketing themselves, right? That they're even yeah. branding themselves as Top Pot in these stores. I mean, I'm, I'm sure that what it is, is they're probably made first. I don't know. I, I guess it's either... There's got to be a central, like, commissary as opposed to being baked, you know, while Golden Tate is breaking in and eating the maple bars at three in the morning. It's it's different because, like, the hand-rolled ta- taco time crisp burritos, right? The hand-rolled crisp burritos that are made right there fresh and Which, are rolled in-house. I mean, not to spoil upcoming Talking Taco Time episodes, but Taco Time Northwest is pushing hard on socials how much they're how much they prep in house, including that now, in fact, all of the uh, crisp burritos are hand rolled at every location. You can taste the difference, though. If it is frozen beforehand and shipped to the locations, and then they're frying them, it's not as good. You're missing. You lose in the out on that cheesy flavor, right? In the, in the beef and the bean. Chris burritos in the same way that for the top pot donuts, if they're being made in mass or whatever and shipped out to QFCs and Fred Meyers throughout the area, they're just not quite as good. And I think they're intentionally making them slightly different as well. I mean, yes, if they're going to be sold for cheaper, if, if it was equivalently good, an actual location top pot, you know, purchased donut with one at QFC and the QFC one was way cheaper then people would just go to QFC. 
Yes. Or or Fred Meyer is the case maybe. I see Albert the distinction between Albertsons and Safeway, I think is an interesting one. We what no longer th- have an Albertsons near me. I think those are common at this point. Now They've now merged by the same now, company. Well, exactly. I mean, we're talking about growing up though, they were separate companies up until fairly recently. I can't I can't say I remember the independent Albertsons versus Safeway Donuts. Like I feel like between... I remember the Albertsons ones being better, but that might just be because Rainey said it. Or I confidently know that if you were looking for like a replacement level donut or whatever, that a Safeway donut is like the epitome of replacement level donut. I, I don't agree that I think the top pot in QFC Fred Myers is a step above like grocery store donuts generally. I tend to agree, but I feel like now we kind of need to do a taste test the next time we see Randy. We need to have a an actual top five donut, a Kroger top five donut, and an Elberton Safeway donut and try all of them at the same time. Should Randy come on for the... Because we, we've been talking about the Safeway episode, right? The grocery store donut. And again, those are probably the most consumed donuts here. Oh, yeah. Of any of the donuts we're talking about, more people, I mean, I go to Safeway like almost every day and that donut box or whatever is completely gone every single day. Like people are eating those donuts a lot. And I I think in general, that's most people's donuts is just the grocery store donuts because of the convenience of it. Uh, I think that's a great idea, but we are going to see Randy in person before too long. So we should maybe try to facilitate this then. Where are we meeting for that? (laughs) Haven't decided yet. I feel like the white center taco time is the way to go. All right. Well, we can we can discuss that one offline. What do you, what do you think about that one though? That's a pretty good idea, right? Either that's the West a, Seattle taco time or the white center taco time. It's not bad. Okay. All right. Anything else on the top pot Kroger no, donut we're, situation? We're get to the bottom of it again. And and if like if we if you know someone who works at a QFC or a Fred Meyer, and can give us any insight into how they get these donuts. That would be much appreciated. Or a top pot, I suppose. We're looking for whistleblowers. (laughs) (laughs) Donut whistleblowers. We still have not successfully gotten to the bottom of the McElroy banner, but maybe this one we can do. Eventually. So this week's search, we did uh, a a slight departure from the search for Seattle's test donut because this isn't quite technically eligible, but today is Fat Tuesday. And part of this tradition is punchkis i mean in many parts of the country people would say this isn't fat tuesday this is punchki day right especially in the midwest where there is a large polish population this is one of the hugest parts of the day of mardi gras fat tuesday right it is about these punchkis it's kind of funny where it's like have a special treat on fat tuesday or whatever and have a punchki donut and it was like, we just have so many donuts. Like the idea of a donut <laughs> being a thing. <laughs> it's like we're really eating multiple donuts per weekend. Now, now Punchkis, having done some research, may in fact be worse for you than regular donuts. Okay. Tell me tell me about Punchkis. What, what is the history of? So uh, as you alluded to, they are traditional in Poland. And traditionally, they're done the Thursday before the start of Lent, as opposed to the Tuesday that that we have done with kind of Polish American populations in the U.S. Although you you still see them through the entire week, we had these from Bakery Nouveau on Sunday. They were doing them again throughout the week leading up week leading up to it. But uh, the idea is 
you know, kind of of common origin to the Mardi Gras celebration. It's using up items prevented by the traditional Lenten fasting rules. So sugar, butter, the lard that's used in these. And there's similar punchies to the other filled European filled donut traditions, whether it's the Bavarian cream or the bombolone that we talked about last week. But a richer brioche style dough is used. That's the that's the big thing that def- differentiates them. That the quality of a, of a punchki is not about the the filling so much as it is the dough. Interesting. Okay. So, hence hence worse for you potentially even love it than many many American donuts. Uh, so you placed an order for a four pack of these from Bakery Nouveau last Sunday. Uh, I took the blackberry. What what did you have? I ended up having the chocolate and the coconut, which were both custard filled, right? Yes, I mean it was a, yeah, it was a chocolate custard and a coconut custard. Obviously. And then there was also a strawberry that Mrs. Fantasy Genius had. Strawberries and cream. Yeah, that one looked pretty good too. And it, I. So jelly I, is sort of the traditional punchki filling, but you do see now a lot of custard and cream as well. I bit into the chocolate uh, punchki from Bakery Nouveau, and. The only thing I could think of when eating it was just class, right? It was such a classy donut all around, right? They took chocolate, and it was like actual chocolate, right? It wasn't this bastardized like chocolate flavor or whatever. It tasted like chocolate, and it was a little bit off in a way. And again, my favorite foods are foods that are just like slightly off in, in terms of flavor. It wasn't overly rich. It so wasn't overly sweet. description. Right. I mean, I like beer that tastes like dirt or whatever, like <laughs> that. That is something that I'm into, but the it wasn't it just didn't like hit you in the face with the flavor. This wasn't a donut that honestly was like if if it was in the hands of like a legendary donuts or something like that, they would have gone all sweet and it would have overpowered the rest of the donut and the poochki that we should be tasting along with it. Right. The actual donut portion of it. I thought the whole thing was perfectly done. In hindsight, maybe I should have gone for one of the custard ones because I probably like those more than jam. But I thought the the blackberry frosting on it, similar to what you're saying about the chocolate, was outstanding. It was all class. Yeah. Right? Like, it just, it was, a, I, I could even see it. You could see it in the blackberry, oh. like, frosting on top. I was like, yes, that is exactly what this should look like. I mean, they still looked so good in the punchki box that we posted on oh, Instagram. It's which is awesome that... It, like is common across multiple different cities and locations. So it, it like kind of gives you that warm feeling. Right. And I'm happy that, that this holiday occurred while we were doing a search for Seattle's best donut. I'm honestly sad that this isn't a contender eligible to be a contender. Uh, and the, they are no longer available by the time you <laughs> listen to this. <laughs> but like the reality was these were really up there with, I would say if any of the filled donuts we've eaten, excluding nobody, these were number one to me. I didn't know about Bakery Nouveau's background and like baking international baking competitions and things of that nature. So, do they have donuts traditionally? I don't think so, but okay, we will have to continue to investigate. This is kind of something that we've tried to avoid in our search for Seattle's best donut. Correct. Somebody who does something else and also happens to have a donut. It should be pretty much a strictly donut location. There, this came up uh, in our research as we transitioned to talking about the location that is eligible for uh, our search for Seattle's best donut this week. Dahlia Bakery does mochi donuts, apparently. They do donuts. They do do they do non-mochi donuts as well. So uh, they may potentially be eligible. Okay. But I, I thought that was interesting to know. 
because our other location this week was Dochi. Uh, mochi donuts, as we know them, again, this is a thing I, I did not know anything about the history about, were created by Japanese chain Mr. Donut in 2003. Yet another donut wow. innovation between 2002 and 2004. I'm telling you. Mr. I, donut. I would say there was something in the water, but it, it probably should be something in the, you know, I, more, a more specific donut We'll component. get there. Under the specter of the Iraq war. <laughs> Uh, so Mr. Donut popularized the ubiquitous bubble ring style that typically marks all mochi donuts. If you're going to a mochi donut location, it's not like you have your choice of a variety of different donut styles. It's going to be that one style with a variety of different flavors. Uh, there are two mochi donut chains in the Seattle area. Mochi Nut, Mochi Nut, which is much bigger, national, has six locations in the Puget Sound with a seventh on the way, and therefore not eligible for a search for Seattle's best donut. And then Dochi, which is much more reasonably local. They started in Orlando and have two locations there, but also have two in Seattle, uh, the one at South Center that I frequent, and then one at the uh, International District of Wajamaya, and then one in Denver, all locally owned by friends and family of the founders. So it's a much smaller chain. Uh, it, like this is a, this is one of the donut places I go the most frequently, especially because like one of the nice things about mochi donuts is, you know, they're not open in the morning, which is odd because you know again oh because donuts to are, you donuts are, are only a breakfast food, but like if I'm eating a donut in the afternoon, it can't be like a large donut that's going to mess up my hunger for dinner and don't and uh, I don't understand how we could have been born in literally the same people around the same time in the exact same place and have such wildly different perspectives about donuts and when they should be eaten or even appetite. I'm like, I will eat a donut at 4 PM and then eat dinner at 5 PM. It's not like you are so concerned with preserving your appetite. This it's is not, not a, a thing. It's not a perspective. It's a reality of my life and my digestive system. Okay? I don't understand I, how we could have been born. I wish I were eating a lot people. more. <laughs> I wish I were eating. I'm out here competing. I'm eating enough for both of us. <laughs> I wish I were eating a lot more. Is I talk about the second donut place? I would never this. come up in a like. I just it is not a consideration for me. I don't. I don't know what to tell you. Consider yourself lucky instead of judging me. Okay. Count your blessings. <laughs> okay. Like I'm. I'm around people who are like, oh yeah, we're gonna have second dinner tonight, and I'm like, how? You really can't. You can eat like one big meal, but you can't eat. Beyond. We're all like every time we have like a mildly large meal and you're like, that's all I ate. And I'm like, wow, I had pizza like four hours after that. I went to five guys and ate all the fries or whatever. <laughs> like it, it was not long after I turned 30. It was the, the year I turned 31. It just totally, totally went off the table. That can't be a cautionary tale for me because I'm way older. <laughs> yeah, I know. I was going to say, just wait till you get older. But you flowed past that. Yeah. But I mean, I used to like, I'd have Pagliacci at dinner at the Storm Games because that was uh, the, the pizza that they were the, mm -hmm. like. Just cheese. <laughs> <laughs> we know that the Gog Primo was untouched. Pepperoni as well. <laughs> the and then the after pepperoni. that, we'd always, we typically go out to Buckley's in Belltown. was usually our post-game spot. And I'd eat a full like meal after the game as well but at some point again that just stopped being possible for me if that were me i would definitely not that's that's the difference between us i would just be drinking from that point forward i would well, eat all the polyachi i could have and i would eat the actual polyachi slices that were there um, 
Not like the storm employees who ate like their six year olds or whatever. <laughs> whatever. I went to Chuck E. Cheese last week and uh, for a child's <laughs> birthday party. It was great. Phenomenal experience. I have the high score on both the kids' papa shot and the adults' papa shot. Thank you. Uh, and there's they had the why, Chuck E. Cheese pizza. Why did you pizza. play on? What, what differentiates the kids and adult papa shot? There's one that's like. A little tiny. Well, I didn't realize where the cards got us to at first. So I thought we could just just be in the like kids area, which are like little small, small kids. And it's like literally I was just like leaning over and dropping the balls in. It was more about how quickly I could move my arms. It wasn't about whether the ball went in. Right. I was cheating fully. And but I got the high score in there. And then because I was just like, if if a high score is listed, I need to try to beat the high score. Does that make sense? (laughs) Again, born similar times in the same place to the same people and he had such different perspectives somebody else i had the high score in the like football throwing thing right it's like where you throw the football through the holes or whatever and uh somebody came over and beat my kind of kicked my ass in the high score and then i just like kept fucking cranking on it like mateo is next to me doing ski ball and i'm like here you go go i have to throw footballs uh and i didn't catch that person as you know as a win forever devotee the only competition i'm battling is myself that's true yeah i was really happy about having my personal high score on the uh, football throwing game at chuck e cheese's in kent washington uh, <laughs> anyway i don't know so they, they had the pizza out which i will say chuck e cheese's pizza shockingly good it was the first huh? time in my entire life i ever had it and i had a slice oh we must have had it when we were do you think that mom wouldn't let us have it because it was too expensive i don't I feel think like so it's, i don't we remember must have gone to i birthday barely remember going to it. chuck e cheese's as a kid Oh, I definitely remember going to Chuck E. Cheese. I don't anyway, remember eating there. but I said to one of the dads, I was like, eh, not bad. Or whatever. Uh, yeah, I'm pretty good at parenting. Uh, <laughs> anyway. Save, there, it, save there, it for Coach's Corner. One of the kids was saying. Or for to, our interview with Baby as Fantasy Genius coming yeah, up it, at the end of this podcast. Later. One of the kids was saying to Mateo. She was like, all the cheese is gone, so we have to have pepperoni. And I was just like, I love the mindset of, like, the cheese pizza is gone, so we have to, like, there's a clear number one and number two ranking at the Seattle Storm. And it is exactly <laughs> aligned with the children who were eating at Chuck E. Cheese's on that day. I mean, I don't know that I would say that pepperoni is the best Pagliacci pizza, but oh, pepperoni I, I, I will say, I ride for the pepperoni at Pagliacci. pizza. I don't think I would ever eat the cheese, which I'm sure is very good, but I just wouldn't order the cheese from Pagliacci. Uh, exactly. It's but. nothing it, like when you're saying that, you're not saying anything negative about oh, no, cheese. This is the cheese this pizza. Is nothing it's but a just like every Pagliacci. Anytime that cheese pizza is available at Pagliacci, or you know now because you're not not typically getting it catered, you're typically just ordering it. Other Pagliacci is an option, and other Pagliacci is better. Yeah. So. All right, anyways, back to Mochi Donuts. <laughs> so, but you have very rarely had Dochi, and even sometimes like I've offered to bring it, and you have not seemed necessarily that interested in it. So I, I will what say was it's your not, experience like? It's not necessarily my type of donut, because I, I think I've, I've said to you, the reason that I love donuts, right? They're my favorite food in the entire world after Pagliacci pizza. Uh, <clears throat> they're my favorite food in the entire world is I just love really, really soft bread. That is just like, that is the number one thing. And, and if it can be sweet, that's great. But I, re- and I think that a, the mochi donuts, the way they are with the little like bubbles, right? With the little like mochi pieces. I love how you could pull it apart. I love the different flavors. I love everything about mochi donuts. But while the, the, 
the bread on the inside is very, very soft on mochi donuts. I think it is done perfectly. The crust to bread ratio mm-hmm. is it's a, it ends up being much like mochi, like a little bit. Che- and it, that's why mochi is perfect, right? You love that chewiness, right? Uh, on the, the crust of a mochi or whatever you would call it, right? How it's chewy and then you get the ice cream in the middle. It's perfect. But this is a little bit too much of the like crust to bread ratio for me in something that I'm interested in. See, it's interesting because when you we when you talked last week about comparing donuts to ribs and how you need to have kind of that that crunch, I yes. thought that was going to be your issue because of the fact that they're not maybe as crispy on the oh, outside. Oh no, I I like that they're they're chewy. Okay. I think that's okay. No, I I think they're great. It's just. I just fucking I love a lot of bread. If they were bigger, I would probably like them even more. If there was like a full size mochi where it wasn't the little tiny bubbles and it was huge, I think I'd be very very into that. I don't know if this is Mr. Donuts' fault if they made it that size in the first place or if that, well, that became standard more subsequently. Mochi, like that's what right. they're supposed to be. Uh, so all six... respect to Mr. Donut, <laughs> of course. Six <laughs> the Momofuku Andu of donuts, I would assume. <laughs> In this context, yes. Of mochi donuts, at least. Uh, six rotating flavors they have at Dochi. Cookies and cream, I would say, is usually my favorite. They, they oh, didn't wow. have that this time. So they I didn't. went with the. I had the matcha ube-be. and cream, which was basically the cookie and cream with matcha instead of the uh, vanilla or whatever the frosting was. Yeah. But uh, definitely. So. I, I feel like this is not quite in the, the bracket territory of our search for Seattle's best donut. Do you agree with that? That was, that was, I mean, I thought it was great. Again, I love eat, biting into it. I love every second of eating it. But I, you know, we're talking about really, really high standards here. We're talking about Seattle's best donut. I think we, I, I don't want to do this, but I do feel like I'm kind of docking them a little bit for not being, if there was one doji and it was started in Seattle. I think I would think a little bit differently about it rather than a location that was founded in Florida and has locations in Seattle. So th- there's just, it's a slight difference, if that makes sense. I, it sets the bar maybe a little higher. I, I think that's fair. Well, when we're looking for Seattle's best donut, and if we were like Seattle's best donut was originated in Florida, that just doesn't, that doesn't feel right to me. Fair. So... We have not decided yet what our donuts for this week will be, but uh, I'm looking forward to it. What do we have left? What's what? What are some big ones? I know Flower Box is kind of the biggest one that's left on the docket. Yes, and we probably need to like be strategic about when we're actually going to go to a uh, Flower Box, given the difficulty of getting them. Uh, a lo- first off, a lot of places are left. <laughs> I'm so excited. These all mean that we get to eat donuts. It's it's true. Some of the notable ones left. Let's see. Can, half can and you just half. run through everything. Uh, oh, half and half I'm excited about. Donut Queen. Raised Donuts and Cakes. Where's that at? Central District. Okay. Donut Factory. That's Daily... the one in the U District? Yeah. Okay. Also in Linwood. Daily Dozen. Uh, we have to apparently get to this soon. Original Bakery in West Seattle is closing. Oh, my God. Soon. So. Well, I hope they don't have Seattle's Best Donut. <laughs> uh, Good Day Donuts. Donut Lab, Aurora Donuts, Good Lazy Donuts, Hot Revolution Donuts, Mini the Donut, Chuck's, Black Diamond Bakery and Restaurant, and Despy Delight. I, I've been to only a couple of the locations that we have left. Yeah, I mean, I think there's going to be a lot of uh, new, new spots for us in some of these remaining ones. 
I'm maybe going to Capitol Hill tomorrow, and I think half and half closes at two. So, <laughs> not not aware of that off the top of my head. I looked it up when I went down there to go to Tats because I was thinking about doubling up. And I was just like, yeah, yeah, I need two 12-inch Tats sandwiches plus some donuts in this experience because I don't think about digestion. Uh, <laughs> just, uh, just count your blessings. Yes, they close it uh, too. The turkey Tats drama. I'm sorry, but it's Seattle's best sandwich. At no point would I travel that far for the fucking chicken sandwich. You're just wrong. It's not even a sandwich. It would just be like... A chicken sandwich is not a sandwich. Can we fight this another day? All right. Peltoncast Live, April 21st, Belltown Yacht Club. The last time we were at (sighs) Belltown Yacht Club, we somehow anointed a chicken sandwich the best sandwich in Seattle. And by we somehow anointed, you mean it was very clear to two of the it's three a, of us. It is as a well great as ben, chicken who sandwich. Was not on the panel. But it's it's not about, it's just a chicken sandwich should not be eligible. It is in its own category. It's, what, what's the second word there again? Hit, hit me with the second word. Just, That's stupid. This word it's was different. sandwich. You can't, it's more, it, it, it is sandwich. more akin to a burger. Well, well, that uh, transitions us at some point. <laughs> okay. To Little Woody's Seattle Burger Month, because last week was a chicken sandwich as opposed to a burger. But this week is a burger. Hello. The Pajio Jr. from Bill Jung of Pajio, a quarter pound beef patty, American cheese, galbi sauce, kimchi, cucumber, coleslaw, gochujang, aioli on a Little Woody's bun. Uh, Bill Jung's description, during the 2020 pandemic, we pivoted from in-restaurant to dining, ah, in-restaurant dining to creating a Japanese sandwich pop-up for takeout. We needed to come up with food that could withstand traveling. We created many sandwich recipes, but the one that included kimchi coleslaw on our pork loin sandwich was a favorite. Our Paju Jr. burger for Lil Woody's Burger Month is a play on that sandwich. The kimchi coleslaw counterbalances the richness and gives it texture. It is even more delicious with the umami built into it. How was this? So naturally, I did not have the kimchi coleslaw. Oh. Is that no, no so interest stupid. In... You just get the food as it is. You I... could suck it up and eat kimchi one time. It's it just I'm not gonna have the, the pickle on next week's sandwich as well. I know what I don't like. Uh, burger. But, you mean burger. Because it is not a sandwich. It is a burger. It is Lil Woody's Burger Month. And they still had a chicken sandwich during that. Bur- but what if one of the chefs would have been like, I'm thinking of pastrami on rye for Lil Woody's Burger Month. They'd be like, are you fucking kidding me? This I is a like burger s- place. But a chicken I, sandwich <laughs> would be eligible. Uh, They're like, like, yeah, would pretty, classic BLT is what I'm thinking. Like, uh, do you understand the difference between these two things? No. You don't? A chicken sandwich? <laughs> you actually don't? It's I mean, eaten I... on a burger bun. The chicken sandwich, that the sandwich that we crown Seattle's best sandwich, it's is on a, a hamburger bun. bun. What is it on? Is it on fucking bread? No, it's not. It's on Hawaiian bread. But it is in a hamburger bun shape, is it not? I suppose so. Arby's was a roast beef sandwich. And That's got a, a hamburger beef bun sandwich. Shape. Yeah. I got you at that one, didn't Truth I? Arby's. <laughs> always anyway, if one of the best chefs in Seattle is preparing a burger for you, I, you just eat it 
as it is. You suck it up and you be a fucking man and you eat the burger as it is. I just know that kimchi would have ruined my enjoyment. Oh my god. It would have ruined your digestion for the whole day? I, I don't... That wouldn't have affected that. Uh, but the... the So it does become a pretty traditional burger at that point, but the gochujang sauce was quite outstanding. The aioli... Like have they had that twice? Hmm? Have they had gochujang aioli twice in Burger Month? Was uh, that in week that one? That was probably not in week one. That was probably in J. Kenji Lopez Alt's oh, sandwich yeah. if, if burger, if I'm remembering correctly. I mean, from they, last should year's just, they should probably just put that on everything. It's not a bad idea. And it mixed really well with the melty cheese. It was a great combo there. Uh, you understand what I'm saying, though? Like, if, if there's do. a chef preparing something, you just eat it. The, unless it is but, an allergy, to me, you just eat it the way it is. The Again, goal is for me to people, enjoy the sandwich. How people could be born to the exact same people. Almost the exact you, same time. You, when are you eating kimchi, exactly? Any time that kimchi is on something that I've ordered, I would eat kimchi. How many times has that happened? Often. I had kimchi at right. some point in the fall. I can't remember what it was on. I'm not as anti-kimchi as you are. And it's not about kimchi. It's about anything pickled. I just do not like pickling is a process. I like everything pickled. Pickled things are, and also it's kind of a weird flavor. It fits in line. It, it does. It's very much of a piece with the difference between our particular palates. Who is it? What is the the food that we love that has pickled? Oh, it's the. Uh, is it the uh, tacos at um, marination have little pickled radishes on them? You wouldn't know. Whatever. I have had the tacos, but how I do you not things. like pickled things? I don't like sour. Uh, whatever. All right. Should we talk about Coach's Corner? <laughs> You've been beaten down enough. <laughs> Just not in the mood to fight anymore. <laughs> I have a theory I've been working on, and it relates to my season coaching basketball. Movies like The Mighty Ducks and Bad News Bears and Dodgeball and Miracle have set unrealistic expectations for coaches of youth teams with lesser talent. Um, and apparently this Woody Harrelson movie that's coming. Oh, God. Like, they put all of the responsibility for winning on the charismatic coach who looks like Leo Messi and halftime speeches and brand new strategies. Well, guess what makes a good youth basketball team? Playing the sport nonstop for multiple years. <laughs> Not some stroke of genius strategy from the coach. Sometimes you could do everything right and the shots just don't go in. I'll make or miss league. You think I haven't thought about spacing the floor and shooting threes? I would love to coach that way. If you would let me, if I was coaching kids who could shoot threes, I would be like, everybody, one player can maybe go in the paint and try to rebound. We're spacing it out, kids. You think I haven't thought about doing a triple towers lineup? The only flight of fancy I haven't let myself go down, I actually did, is if we would be undefeated if I suited up myself and said my name was Mateo Messi. <laughs> He's about the right age. Well, actually, uh, uh, his oldest child, Tiago, is about the right age. But also, if you're arguing that Leo Messi isn't his Italian, his, na- his children's names are Mateo, Tiago, and Chiro. I don't know if anyone's arguing that he isn't Italian. But once again, the media has us thinking that any team who hasn't won a game yet is just about to turn the corner, when in reality, most of these teams have more in common with the 08 Huskies than they do the damn Mighty Ducks. Except for the second grade basketball and my one lost team. At that age, coaching is all that matters. 
Wow, there you go. Nailed it. Uh, I went to the second game of your youngest son, Babyus Fantasy Genius, Mateo. Uh, <laughs> he scored this time, did not take himself, himself out of the game at any point because he was unhappy with other people not passing to him. He's passing a fair amount when he brings oh. it up. Yeah, he's the point god, many are saying. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a, a stronger effort all around for Mateo. Yeah, all you have to do is promise him toys for not acting crazy, and then he's good. <laughs> Anything else on Coach's Corner? <sighs> no. no. Let's get into our corner. rundown. I Oh, I actually will say, as a follow-up to last week, remember when I, I called the timeout to work the ref? Yes. I show up, and I was like, I was like, I really hope that kid is not refing this week, because I'm like, I'm like 60% embarrassed and 40% uh, righteous. And so I walk in and the same kid is there or whatever. That game was refereed to a fucking T. It was like the most pristinely refereed game that I have ever seen. And I was just like, I don't care if if we have to be hardline about the rules when it comes to refereeing. And even me on the sideline, like I'd have kids go past the line. They can't defend it. And I'm like, get back. Right. It it was and it, it was a more fun game because of how well it was refereed. So I do think that that kid was probably just like this motherfucker. Like, I'm not necessarily, again, happy about it. But the point of arguing with referees or being like, hey, can we do it this way is to correct future behavior, right? I didn't call a timeout to yell at him about a past call or whatever. I said, from this point forward, can we have a growth mindset when it comes to refereeing the basketball game and call the game by the fucking rules? And not exactly what I said, something along those lines. But again, it it was... There was not a moment that I was just like, well, that was a questionable call or whatever. So did you did you thank him afterwards? For doing his job properly? Wow, that's what the money is for. <laughs> now let's get into the rundown. Starting the <laughs> I mean it's a, you know, the big bucks clearly refereeing. We, uh, honestly, I didn't it's just like there was no there was no interaction. It was just okay. like everybody just faded into the background. Okay. Kids just, just showed asking. up and played basketball. Just asking. Positive it would have felt if no, if I would have thanked him, it would have felt condescending, though. I think is yeah. is if I would have been like, hey, thanks for calling the game right this time. You know what I mean? <laughs> well, yeah, if you said that. <laughs> but that's what it even if I would have been like, hey, that, that was a great game. Great Good game. game ref, thank you. Then I still think he would have just been like this motherfucker. Okay. I think it was better to have not said anything. The only winning move is not to play. All right, now let's get into the rundown, starting with the Mariners. 2023 Pakoda projections are out from our friends at Baseball Prospectus. They have the Mariners winning just 82 games on average, the third highest average in the AL West behind the Astros and Angels. Particularly, Pakoda projects regression for the Mariners pitching staff, projected for just 11.5 wins above replacement after totaling 17.5 last season. I was hoping I there was some sort of a glitches in the computer reference nah, here. I, I mean, I can see it. I think. I am no a little Mariner concerned. Starter, I'm concerned about a, a consolidation year. No Mariner starter missing a start last year. I think that's one of the bigger questions is just health. But like George Kirby's going to be good. Luis Castillo is going to be good. Robbie Ray, I would expect to be at the exact same level that he was at last year and probably he has the ability to be better than he was last year. It seemed like it was mostly about the bullpen rather than the starting rotation. Oh, okay. I didn't investigate it deeply, but that's what it seemed like. 
and, and the bullpen, I would assume that the bullpen, I mean, without having done any research on this at all, I would assume bullpen is a little bit more like year-to-year defense. Where like, Oh, yeah, it's totally unpredictable. It, it, it's just... If you're investing a lot in bullpen players, you're probably doing it wrong, and you kind of just hope that you get it right. Correct. So See, I, that, it, it, I get I get why Pakoda is expecting that. I think the Mariners will beat that expectation, though. Is that too measured? Yes. Okay, this is so Mariners hot takes. No, we're hot not takes. doing Mariners we hot. I'm working them out during Coach's Corner. I'm, this is like spring training. I'm using it. Uh, Seattle Kraken got two strong wins at home last week, beating Philadelphia 6-2 to and Detroit 4-2 to before losing 4 nothing at San Jose in a matinee on President's Day. It's the third time this season the Kraken have been shut out with two of those coming since the All-Star break. They're back home this week to host a pair of original six franchises, Boston and Toronto, before starting a four-game road trip next Tuesday in St. Louis. They entered Wednesday's play still third in the Pacific Division, the last guaranteed playoff spot, and fifth overall in the West. Three weeks after losing in the FIFA Club World Cup, the Sounders will finally begin their 2023 MLS campaign on Sunday night, hosting the Colorado Rapids. They faced USL Championship team Louisville City in a closed-doors friendly last Saturday at Starfire, their last tune-up, winning 2-1 with Hebert and Christian Roldan scoring. There we go. Joao Paulo was part of the starting 11 for the exhibition after coming off the bench against Al-Ali in Morocco, playing a full 80-minute shift. Hebert started at striker in that one with Raul Ruiz Diaz unavailable due to a hamstring strain. Brian Schmetzer told reporters he hasn't yet been ruled out for the season opener, although obviously they will be cautious with this given Redia's history of muscle strains. There's snow coming down in the forecast in Seattle, Washington. (laughs) There's going to be a 32-degree day, and you know what that means. Get ready for MLS soccer, baby. Let's freaking go! Well, the cold weather would not be an advantage for the Sounders on Sunday against Colorado. Uh, it's season it's preview not be season. Advantage for anybody. Oh, it's not going to be that cold. No, because it's going to be horrible. Oh, oh, I see what you're saying. Yes, among the 13 observers with predictions on MLSsoccer.com, none had the Sounders lower than six in the West after they finished a shocking 11th last year. Three had them atop the conference, with 10 of the 13 putting them in the top three. So expectations for the Sounders to bounce back. Even if they only bounce back a little, could make the playoffs because MLS announced an expansion of the playoffs to nine teams in each conference as they were worried that less than half of the league's teams might make it. The week before the, the season they announced this? They did, yes. Wow. This is how MLS rolls. That's just make up rolls they go. I mean, you know I love more playoffs, so I can't really complain about it. I'm kind of down for more playoffs for anybody, but it's like if the NFL would have done the like rumored where they're just going to add another team to the playoffs. They're like, fuck it. We're going to eight a week beforehand. And you know what? I would have been for it. (laughs) Uh, The new format will see a play in for the eighth spot in both conferences, followed by best of three first rounds. Something we haven't seen since before Sounders played in MLS. Best of three? Like. What? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) To be like home away home playing soccer right still playing soccer i mean this is what they did in the early days of mls in literally no league in the entire world do they do this though right (laughs) that's uh, not that i'm familiar with i I mean i i'm not familiar with all the leagues how do you do in the world 
I mean, I no, I guess actually the question I have not answered, maybe I need to look at MLSsoccer.com for this one. Does that mean there's going to be like an immediate shootout for 90 minutes in each of these games? Or yeah, like it... what does best of three mean? Are they just, if you draw, draw, mm. then you go to extra time in the third one or whatever? I mean, it's kind of like that settles it, right? I think there has to be, if it's going to be best of three, it means you can potentially win after two. So it's not going to be any sort of aggregate thing. Uh, let me tell you, the, the MLSsoccer.com website is not giving me the answers to this as quickly as Why I would like Why do they have to overthink this? Like <laughs> I, just, I wish that I could just be in that room and be like, well, nowhere else in the entire world is doing this, so why are we doing it? If the score of a wildcard game is tied at the end of regulation, no extra time will be played. Teams will participate in kicks from the penalty spot to determine the winner. Wow. So they're just fucking, they're just saying we want randomness. Oh, I'm sorry, this was the wildcard match, but I, I think that's the same rules. They're going Each, all in on randomness, though. Every round one game will be have a winner, no ties, no aggregate score. Again, teams will participate in kicks from the penalty spot to determine the winner. I mean, now the one thing... We're this close to why do we even pay attention to MLS? We're this close. I mean, MLS regular season, if nine teams are going to make it, and there's no longer any buy, because that was a big thing you were playing for before in the regular season. Uh, Everybody's participating in the best of three series? All, all, all eight playoff teams that make it past the play-in, yes. So the number one seed could be there, and then the number eight seed or whatever, it would be the... Now, the advantage you still have as the number one seed is that the eight or nine will have played a pre-game But they could just sit that. back and play defense and just try to win in penalty kicks. They they sure can. And you get two of the three at home, so that's that's the, the one thing you get. Does that matter in soccer? Not that much. <laughs> this is so fucking dumb. I'm just... I mean, I think playing three games with shootouts is still probably less random than playing one game with extra time. I mean, I... Shootouts are fun. We'll see. I, I give this a solid we'll see. I. <laughs> it is just like, I, I feel like MLS should probably be doing as much as they can to look as much like European soccer as they can. I do not think MLS thinks that way. But also, it's not going to matter when the merger with Liga MX happens. Why? Why is that not going to matter? I, they're they're still going to do a totally different format. Okay, <laughs> they're just going to make it up next year? Yeah. I, I, don't, know if, I don't know if it's going to be next year. Well, that's interesting. Last bit of Sounders news, they announced Tacoma native Hugh Weber is their new team president last week. Weber, who was most recently president of Harris Blitzer Sports and Entertainment Group that oversees the New Jersey Devils and Philadelphia 76ers, also spent eight years as New Orleans Pelicans team president. Weber replaces Peter Tomazawa, who stepped down to take over as CEO of the Seattle 2026 World Cup organizing committee. Did you see the 538 story that it was like in the U.S.? NFL still dominates or whatever. And it was like the amount of people who go to games on a day, which was, it was basically just like a big story to show that football stadiums are bigger than other stadiums. <laughs> and also that they play one time a week as opposed <laughs> yeah. to multiple times a week. The, and like was looking it? at that, I was like, wow, baseball is kind of dominating. If baseball has like double the amount of home games as the NBA, their stadiums are also bigger than the NBA, but like in double the amount of games, if around the same amount of people were going, I was like, this is actually like a weird compliment to the sport of baseball. <laughs> right? 
you know what? I think the NFL is still doing just fine. No, the like it's not and that the, the NFL NBA isn't is, the most... a five most... billion dollar Phoenix Suns franchise. It's not that the NFL isn't the most important American professional sport or biggest American professional sport, but it was just such a bonkers way to describe it. I I I agree that that <laughs> is not a good way to quantify things. I thought that was hilarious. it's like. Literally every single NBA team could sell out every single game, and by this chart, it would still be like the NFL is dominating <laughs> by having like forty percent capacity at most of the games. Just like cool. the Jacksonville Jaguars <laughs> outdraw every NBA team. There's just so many other measures to talk about. There hasn't has there been an an NFL franchise sold anytime recently? Denver Broncos sold. What did they sell for? That was four billion. I think so. I mean, honestly, like if the Broncos Although, were worth... they didn't factor in four point six five billion. They didn't factor in the cost of the extension to Russell Wilson. <laughs> honestly, like if you just bought the Broncos for four point six five billion, I think the Russ extension is just like, oh, it's a rounding error at that point. <laughs> yeah, the so the Suns were were purchased for four billion, right? That's around. That's what the number was. I believe that was the valuation, yes. And the Broncos at four point that's it's a little bit surprising how close those numbers are to me, considering that the, it's an NFL franchise and that the Broncos are one of the premier NFL franchises as well. In I, I don't know how the markets I think the markets are probably fairly commensurate, but like They're pretty close, yeah. The I think the Broncos are a more national brand than the Suns are. Yeah. So I don't know. We'll see. I think the next team is gonna be like I, the numbers are just going to keep going up. Literally, how do people have these quantities of money to pay? I believe that's late-stage capitalism. That's <laughs> yeah. what you were looking for. Oil rain prepping it's the for... It's not-taxing billionaires. That's that's what it is. Oil rain prepping for Saturday's friendly with Club America at Starfire Stadium. Alana Cook was the lone rain starter in last Thursday's U.S. Women's National Team 2023 opener, a 2-0 win over Canada in Orlando with Emily Sonnet coming on at halftime. On Sunday in Nashville, both Cook and Sofia Huerta started on the back line with Sonnet and Megan Rapino playing as reserves as the national team beat Japan 1-0. They'll wrap up the She Believes Cup Wednesday hosting Brazil. Uh, some storm news. They signed 2022 third-round pick Jade Melbourne, who will report to training camp this year after being stashed last season to continue her development in her native Australia. That's gone quite well with the 20-year-old Melbourne uh, recording a triple-double for the Canberra Capitals Saturday in WNBL play. But he had 19 points, a career-high 14 assists, and a career-high 12 rebounds. Overall, she's averaging 13 points, 5 assists, 5 rebounds per game. And the opportunity for playing time at point guard with the Storm is there because they're probably going for point guard by committee this season. The last starting caliber free agent, Mariah Jefferson, signed with Phoenix last week or she'll replace pregnant Skylar Diggins-Smith. Now, knowing that she's Australian, I believe it's pronounced Melbourne. <laughs> I mean, yes, it is. Is Jade Melbourne the most Australian name possible? <laughs> I don't feel like Jade is maybe the most Australian first it was name. Sydney Melbourne? Si- yeah, si- Sydney <laughs> Melbourne. 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 <laughs> I'm not pronouncing it that way. You're not pronouncing it properly? No. Wow. Absolutely not. Why? Because we're not in Australia. It's how the name, it's a proper name. You'd have softball. Very strange takes that you have today. 
Romp through the Houston Classic, winning five games by a combined 43-7 to margin with three run rule victories before suffering a surprising 3-2 to loss Monday at McNeese State. Oh, Kelly Lynch started They come up again. One. Yes, a lot of McNeese State talk this week. Started, Kelly Lynch started and gave up all four runs while the Husky bats managed just four hits with Madison Husky's home run responsible for the only scoring. This weekend, the Huskies will be in SoCal for the Mary Nutter Classic, taking on a schedule highlighted by Kentucky, who uh, may have passed them in the standings with in the rankings with this loss for the Huskies. Let's let's see what the latest is here. No, actually, the Huskies moved up to number ten. Somehow. I mean, like that run differential is pretty solid. It is. Officially, according to the rankings, their record is nine and one, and not nine and two. Oh, because I guess the vote happened on Monday before that game was played. Oh, okay, before they lost. Kentucky is number eighteen now at six one and one this season. Uh, San Diego State will also be a part of that one, notably. All right, UW women's basketball. We talked about this at the top. They closed out the home careers of the six players we highlighted last week in winning fashion, sweeping the Oregon schools. Hello. They led Oregon State by 13 heading to the fourth on Friday before sweating out a 64-59 win with Haley Van Dyke's 17 points leading four players in double figures. On Senior Day Sunday, the Huskies came back from a halftime deficit by outscoring Oregon 18-6 in the third quarter en route to a 68-60 win, their first over the Ducks since 2016. The results assured the Huskies can finish no worse than 500 this season, something they haven't done since 2017. UW will be tested this weekend against the LA schools, playing a rare Thursday-Saturday road trip. Uh, USC, who they'll play on Thursday, comes in sixth in the Pac-12 at nine and seven, and on the verge of a 20-win season. The Bruins have dropped to ten and six in conference play after losing a Monday night showdown at Stanford, but uh, previous to that game, were ranked number 16 in the country. So, again, a very difficult road trip for the Huskies to wrap up the Pac-12 regular season. Is there any chance of an at-large bid for the UW women to the NCAA tournament, or do they have to win out or win the Pac-12 tournament? I mean, maybe if they won out and got to the finals of the Pac-12 tournament, I I don't think that they're like even in the conversation at this point. They'd have to come up with some victories this weekend to enter the conversation. Yeah, I mean that would that would potentially change things, I suppose. Like then they'd be ahead. Oh no, they are next four out now on on the women's bracketology. Hello. Wow. I had no idea. This is suddenly I'm, getting very real. We've. Uh, what is it like having a bubble watch? When wow. was the last time we watched the bubble? I maybe, literally have not looked at the bubble watch bracketology. Haven't looked ext- at it in years. I forgot. Extremely what it looks optimistically, like. 2020, the men were on the bubble. <laughs> That's the last time, right? Wow. 2020, the, the year that didn't happen, right? <laughs> Where is it turned out, yes. There was no UW men, It was like all, everything was canceled, but UW managed to lose still before. They were just so like, close <laughs> to like, look, we didn't know. We, they could have won the national championship. We couldn't even jokingly have had had that conversation. <laughs> they just they had to make sure that we couldn't have jokingly Lost had on it. literally the last day. Of college basketball in the year of our Lord 2020. Oh. Uh, but this, this is real. I mean, the momentum that's happening around the UW women is it feels pretty tangible and palpable right now, right? Like it feels like something's building here. I mean, again, like they're going to lose a lot of veterans who are contributing to this year's team, but 
Eldin is a freshman continues to contribute a lot. They've got another good recruiting class coming in. It it feels like things are very much headed in the right direction under Tina Langley. Yeah, I think it's exciting. Uh, Tina Langley, where is she from? What's her What's her history? So she was at Rice previously as head coach there. Had won the NIT that. here last year at Rice. Uh, was an assist- longtime assistant coach at Maryland before that. Okay, but any ties to the Northwest? Not at all. Oh, okay, so Tina Langley, if things go well, we'll be coaching somewhere else. <laughs> got it. <laughs> Uh, let's hope things go well but not too well i uh, look that would be a happy outcome as compared to two of the i guess it was two of the last four coaches but if if she makes the ncaa tournament with the uw women she will get a job offer from somewhere probably a contract extension at that point oh yeah no we're talking she's probably like the third highest paid employee of the state no i guess hopkins (laughs) well maybe there'll be a new men's basketball coach we'll see anyway she's, she's still be behind kyle smith too i'm sure oh, best yeah. fifth highest are you to men's basketball also swept the oregon schools last week we already talked about their win over oregon last wednesday on saturday they did not have the letdown i kind of expected instead beat oregon state 61 47 it Starting... was oregon state we're it aware was. of this right it was well like that has not stopped them did not stop them in corval in corvallis earlier yes. this season uh, a typically fast start Saturday. They went on an 11 nothing run after Oregon State game, scored the game's first two points. Never looked back. It was a six-point game with eight minutes left, but they turned that into a route using a 13-1 to run. Mike Hopkins tightened his rotation to just six players who saw more than 11 minutes of action with Noah Williams getting another DNP CD. P.J. Fuller playing just 11 minutes. Definitely the not f- what Noah Williams was expecting coming oh, back no. here. No, no, definitely not. Four of the five starters in reserve, Corin Johnson, scored double figures. This weekend, the Huskies head to the Bay for their final road trip of Pac-12 play. Last time we saw Cal, they had started two and three in conference play, took the Huskies to OT and heck ed. Since then, their losing streak has grown to 11 games, and they have dropped to number 262 in the Ken Palm rankings, the third worst among Pac-12 teams in the Ken Palm era ahead of the 2015 Beavers, who went 1 of 17 in conference play, and the 2012 Utes, who went 3 and 15. Their last loss tied a school record for a single season at 24. They come in at number 356 of 363 teams in the country in effective field goal percentage. Wow. So this, even more than the Oregon State game, granted it's on the road, (laughs) would be a terrible loss. Stanford, by contrast, has righted the ship after a shocking 0-7 start to Pac-12 play, including a 17-point loss at UW in that stretch. They won their next four conference games, also knocked off Arizona before going 0-2 at the LA schools last weekend. Stanford's offense has been just outside the top 50 in adjusted offensive efficiency this season, but their defense ranks 11th in the Pac-12. So an opportunity for the Huskies to put up some points in this one. Still think probably a one in one weekend is most likely. But again, there's a real chance of the Huskies running the table in conference play, as we talked about last week before they beat the Oregon schools. I think it's happening. They're gonna end up at ten and ten. And I just did the Huskies will be ten and ten in, in Pac twelve play, pejorative. Like it, it's not a it's not a good thing that this is happening. It's almost like a quirk of the schedule. And the team is not, they're not that bad, but like a 500 Pac-12 team, Pac-12 basketball team, 
given how top heavy the Pac-12 is, it's kind of just whatever. It's nothing. Yeah, and especially because they're still not as good statistically as their record. Like they're tied in conference Pac-12 play with Colorado. They're both seven and ten. Colorado is fifty-second in Ken Palm. The Huskies are a hundred and first. So there's a pretty big gap in the Pac-12. There's uh, let's see here, eight teams that are ranked in the top sixty-five in Ken Palm, and then the next highest ranked team is Stanford at ninety-fifth. And then there are two teams, Oregon State and Cal, who are outside the top 200. Because this is a major conference. <laughs> All right, one quick UW football note. Former Husky head coach Jimmy Lake reportedly set to join the Rams coaching staff in a role yet to be determined. That will, of course, affect the buyout offset in Lake's UW contract. So Husky Athletic Department may be getting some money back there. I mean, I'm still cheering for Jimmy Lake. That's the thing. It's like, yeah. I, I saw this, and aside from it being the Rams, I was like, that's awesome. I think Jimmy Lake will probably be a defensive coordinator in the NFL. I think it's I a mean, cool good, trajectory to be on. The good news, more on this in a second. If you coach for the Rams, odds are you're going to be somewhere else the year after that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, but no, I think I think this is good for Jimmy Lake going, and I'm sure that he's taken time. and like He probably wasn't, he obviously wasn't ready to be a head coach in college and didn't necessarily have the demeanor to be a head coach or really the the scheme or the ability to be a head coach but like that doesn't mean that he won't be able to be one it, with time you know i definitely believe that people can grow from their mistakes and i think sure. moving up in the nfl defensive coaching ranks look even as terribly as things went for the huskies in 2021 their defense was still considerably better than it was in 2022 and a player that he recruited did in the secondary did win the Super Bowl this last year. For the most part, the players that Jimmy Lake coached in college have been quite good in the NFL. Yeah. All right, let's move on to the NFL, where the Seahawks announced a one-year extension for right guard Phil Haynes on Monday. Ari Myrov reported it's a $4 million deal with an additional $1 million in available incentives. Haynes was said to become an unrestricted free agent after starting three games, playing nearly half the team's offensive snaps last season. As he split time with starting right guard Gabe Jackson, who looms as a likely cut, the Seahawks yep. could save $6.5 million in base salary by waving Jackson. As you mentioned at the top, there we the, go. the pedestrian podcast reported that the Seahawks have also extended special teams ace Nick Ballore, with subsequent confirmation of that from several sources. On the coaching front, Jonathan Jones of CBS Sports was the first to report that the Seahawks will hire Greg Olson as their QB coach. Now, it's not the one who called the Super Bowl. Not that Greg Olson. And also for baseball fans, not that that Greg Olson, the reliever for the Baltimore Orioles, the closer for them back in the day. The This one is a Richland native who went to Central Washington and started his career as a grad assistant at WSU before moving to the NFL in 2001 where he's been an offensive coordinator for five teams, most recently the Raiders from 2018 through 21, before spending last year with the Rams as a senior offensive <sighs> assistant. I actually thought this was kind of a cool hire for the Seahawks. I mean, like those Raiders teams, for the most part, I don't, their offenses ultimately weren't that bad. This is the person who, whatever Derek Carr gets paid this offseason, it's because of Craig Olson. <laughs> I don't know if I would say that necessarily. I mean, it, to have that track record as an offensive coordinator, you're probably a bit overqualified to go back to a role of quarterback coach, is I guess what I would say for it. 
Uh, on three sports reported that the Steelers will hire Seahawks coach Aaron Curry is their linebacker coach. Curry had served as an assistant defensive line defensive end coach for the Seahawks in his fourth year with the organization. Seahawks also losing assistant wide receiver coach Brad Idzik, who's following Dave Canales to Tampa Bay as wide receiver coach. Uh, Tuesday was the start of the 15-day window for teams to utilize franchise and transition tags, which ends March 7th. There's really no reason for teams to make a decision on that until the very end. As we talked about with Mike Sean last week, the Seahawks will probably do everything they can to try to sign Geno Smith to an extension before deciding whether to use the tag on him. Which won't happen. You're going to definitively rule it out? Oh, yeah. No, there's no way it happens. I mean, Mike Sean's argument was they're not going to let him be coming unrestricted unrestricted free agent no they're going to tag him but they're not going to oh, sign him to an extension I I, we've already I've, we've, we've been through all this we know what will happen okay well we know the date that he'll sign the extension roughly what, what was that date again it was whatever it's like a within a week before the deadline the deadline was like july 17th or something it's like july 10th i think it might have been the 13th it feels like it was the 13th we wrap up for the first time by talking about the Seattle Sea Dragons. Wow, I didn't think you were going to do it. Who lost Hello, the opening now game. Now I'm engaged, baby. Of their reincarnation alongside the XFL. 22-18 to the DC Defenders at Audi Field. You it's told Penn me you weren't going to talk about the Sea Dragons. You couldn't we, resist it. We you got through it quickly enough. It. We, we didn't have that much on the rundown as it turned out. Ben DiNucci fumbled at the one-yard line Ugh. with 19 seconds left. You were heartbroken about this. I was killing me to do paying attention to the All Star game. Well, I I will tell you right clearly, now. Clearly, more defense in the DC Defenders versus the Seattle Sea Dragons than there was in the NBA All Star game. Well, when Ben DiNucci's throwing the ball, not that hard for the defense. Uh, it was it was a frustrating loss for the Sea Dragons. I did not expect to find myself watching this game. The most but... frustrating loss ever is the Sea Dragons because you'll recall back in 2021. When they previous or 2020, when they previously existed, they were the Seattle Dragons. Yeah, I don't know. I kind of like the Sea Dragons. Oh, you got to have a nautical theme. I mean, we're I, in Seattle. Oh yeah, no. I, being just the straight up dragons, it's like this isn't fucking the Isle of Wight. Like, oh, the joke was this isn't Valley View Elementary School. <laughs> sure, but there, there's no, there's no dragonic history in uh, Seattle, Washington. So I think Sea Dragons is good. I'm happy about it. The thing I'm not happy about is Ben DiNucci. Wow. Yeah, he, I thought he was our savior for football. thought he was the next Geno, but turns out he was the next Geno, second half only. And it was... <laughs> Too soon. <laughs> for the Geno part of it, to be clear. <laughs> no, no, love Geno, love Geno. Uh, it, it was a frustrating loss, though. And again, I I didn't anticipate watching this i ended up watching kind of a lot of xfl this weekend and it does feel like the, just the combination of players who you sort of know right on most every team like josh gordon being involved it's just like six josh catches gordon. for 74 yards and a touchdown he made a did he make a pro bowl at some point he must have right that sounds right he was a very good nfl i'm impressed that josh gordon is willing to do it was willing to play in the xfl um and even Danucci, who like again we know we've seen Ben DiNucci play a lot more than we've seen a lot of other backup quarterbacks play. And in big moments, just because of where he was the quarterback. And uh, 
it was quite fun. Uh, Josh Gordon was both a pro bowler and an all pro in 2013 when he yeah, had a high 87 catches for 1,646 yards leading the NFL that season. Uh, also seeing like the various coaches who who are like Jim Haslett for the Sea Dragons. I mean, there's there's Jim Haslett. Greg Williams is out there. Uh, is, that, is that a good thing? But just like the familiarity, it feels like you're just kind of watching a sort of bad football game and watching a sort of bad football game is not really that bad. <laughs> I've watched a lot of them, right? I watched Chris Strevler on a Thursday night and I was electrified. So <laughs> uh, that that's just that's just the reality of it, that watching football is kind of fun and it looks a lot like football and a couple of rule changes. I think the no extra points is actually quite a good rule. The fourth and 15. Uh, I think everybody's excited about this. Like there, there are rule changes that if the NFL was just like not having onside kicks be virtually impossible to get less impossible it, last year, I will say, but still very unlikely. But if your team scores a touchdown, let's say that your team is down two scores and they score a touchdown to go down eight or seven or whatever. And it's up to an onside kick. You're like, it's over. Yes. You know that the game is over. If it just came down to picking up, I think it's a fourth and 15 or a fourth and 25. I think it's a fourth and 15. If it came down to pick up a fourth and 15, you're going to always in the back of your mind be like, we can pick this up. If it's happening on an offensive play rather than a special teams play. I just think that's it's more fun and it's a little bit more true to the sport of football than something that is like, so minute minutely utilized in the sport which is like special teams in general and then also this one play that you're not really going to practice that much it's it's cooler for it to come down to the actual like the quarterbacks and the receivers and the defense so the sea dragons did outgain the defenders 331 to 177 in this one but it was Danucci. really the Danucci turnovers that were uh, costly fumbled Again, at the one-yard line at the end of the game and also through two interceptions. It's all about the ball, Ben DiNucci. <laughs> it's really... Honestly, the fumble at the one-yard line also the two interceptions were a little bit like... What is the, the Lincoln quote? Aside from that, how is the play, <laughs> Mrs. Lincoln? <laughs> yeah. Other than that, yes. So I guess we will, we will continue to follow the Sea Dragons this season. Are, are all the games generally on ESPN, too? Uh, I believe ESPN and FX, perhaps. I think it's a little wise for ESPN to have gotten the rights to the XFL, and they're kind of they're kind of doing it on. I mean, there's not a lot of st- sports happening right now for SportsCenter on the weekends. Yeah, ABC, ESPN, and FX are the uh, national. Sea uh, Dragons home opener coming up this Thursday. Oh, I knew that they, I heard that they had a uh, short turnaround. Yeah, yeah. As they played, they were the probably the last game of the day on uh, the weekend on Sunday night, right? That makes sense. Yeah. So, who are they playing? Let's let's pose that question. That I did not put in the notes. Week two here, Sea Dragons taking on the St. Louis Battlehawks Thursday oh. night. Uh, that one will be on FX. All right, with that, I think it's time to get for to our bonus segment this week and our special guest. Okay, hi. It's kind of a return to something we did several years ago. Several 
no, I wasn't alive several years ago. Actually, I, I was alive, but I was just like a baby. Would you like to introduce our special guest this week? <laughs> I like that he's already disputing what we're talking about. This was with Luca when he was a baby. So uh, my, my children have uh, a really cool ability to memorize things yeah. and, and interested in memorizing things. So you might remember, you should link to this because I think it was kind of ancient history in Pelton Cast lore. Ancient history? Okay, just let me finish before we introduce you. Was baby fantasy genius who's now 11 when he was like five or six, who is now 10. <laughs> I, look, I'm not the one who memorizes things. They are. <laughs> Uh, that's a little Pelton cast math for you right <laughs> off the top here. <laughs> anyway, Baby Fantasy Genius, who's now 10 years old, when he, was, when he was five or six, came on and went through and named uh, college sports team nicknames, which was a passion of his. And I noticed that Baby is Fantasy Genius, Mateo, who's now, how old are you? Into the microphone? Six. Into the microphone? Six. Okay, he's six, he tells me. Uh, has the same interest in naming rap discographies in order from famous rappers. It, it doesn't have to be a rap. It could be like soft rock and stuff. Soft rock and stuff? Like he, he older did, for John, yes. He did tell us earlier he knows about Elton John's discography after he I, appeared in a Super Bowl ad. I don't know Elton John's. I don't know Elton John's discography. You you mentioned a few tidbits from it, so there are some allies. So, the yeah, way that the way that Luca learned this was that he would go through what you call the C channel on Xfinity that lists all the games and all the standings for everything. And I don't in, get how this works. In T's case, it's just going to Spotify on each individual <laughs> artist while he burped directly into the microphone. We'll see if he keeps talking directly into it. So that's that's how this has originated. Okay, do you, do you want to get this started? Yeah. Maybe now, now, keeping in mind that you're six, you're, you're a good reader, but some words in rap discography lore might not be real words in the English language that you've read. So if yeah. you mispronounce something, I, I will help you out. Yeah. But, like, I used to not know how to... Do, like, always into the microphone. Yeah, I know, I know we get excited. Yeah. I used to not do, I used to not know how to pronounce Jay-Z's The Dynasty. Yeah, you learned how to pronounce, yeah, Rock La Familia. Because uh, it's like... <laughs> Yeah, it is spelled like how. But I, I think we should start with Outcast because I think some of their albums might not be proper English words. Outcast. <laughs> I know the. I know that they spelled music weird. And, um, uh, it's okay. Do you want to start at the beginning? Let's start at the beginning. Okay. Um. First Outcast album. Southern players of. So. Southern Playlist of the Cadillac Music. Yeah, Southern Playlist Cadillac Music. Okay, oh. what's next? After that, AT Aliens. There we go. Then the other version of AT Aliens. The other version of AT Aliens. After AT Aliens. Okay. And then? And then after that, they had... Equimini than uh, Snorky. <laughs> Stankonia. Stankonia. <laughs> After Stankonia, there was Speaker Box, The Love Below. Okay, that was the split album. Do you want to name the movie, movie soundtrack or no? No. Okay. Uh, what, about, what about Kendrick Lamar? Yo, Kendrick, that's easy. 
always into the microphone when you say, yo, Kendrick, that's easy. Yo, Kendrick, that's easy. There we go. <laughs> okay. You'll, you'll note that very infrequently do we stand on our chairs when we're in the middle of podcasting. Overly dedicated section 80, Good Kid, Mad City, Good Kid, Mad City, Deluxe, Took Up a Butterfly, <laughs> I, Untitled, Unmastered Dam, uh, Black but, Panther movie, sound like Mr. Mortal and the Big Stepper. I, I pulled this up and you went through them way too fast. I pulled it up for me to check to see if you're right. Okay, but that, that was pretty good. That was pretty I already good. knew them. You already knew them? Okay. All right, do you want to you take a shot at Jay-Z? In, into the microphone, do you want to take a shot at Yo, Jay-Z? Yo, that's easy. <laughs> this is a very long, long discography, but okay. It's <laughs> a very long discography, but okay. He's had a quite a long career. Stop being so bad, Dad. I mean, technically two careers when you count his retirement in between. We'll we'll, we'll, we'll mention uh, that when we get there. Uh, he first his first album was of reasonable doubt. Okay. In my lifetime, Volume One, Hornet Life, Volume Two. Harnock Life Volume Two Clean. <laughs> uh, Life and Times Volume Three. For, for the record, Hard Knock Life Volume Two Clean was perhaps what Tristan had. It was not. No, it was not. First CD I ever bought after Big Willie Style. Okay, then. Okay, you're on. You just did Volume Three. After Volume Three was uh oh uh the blueprint then. Uh, well, you skipped the one that you said you just learned how to pronounce. The Dynasty. Okay. Then the Blueprint. Then the Blueprint. And then after the Blueprint, we had MTV Unplugged, Jay-Z. Mm-hmm. After that, we had the Blueprint 2. Okay. <laughs> and then... Um, also, when you're talking to the microphone, you shouldn't have your hand in your mouth. After the Blueprint 2, there was uh, the Black Album. Okay. Then after the Black Album was Kingdom Come. Okay. Then after Kingdom Come was uh, American Gangster. Okay. After American Gangster, there was a uh, Watch the Throne. Oh, you. Oh, no, the you Blueprint three. The okay, Blueprint good, three, good. Okay, and sorry. The, and the Blueprint two point one. Okay, sorry. Yeah. And don't and you can never forget Watch the Throne in four forty four. Oh, there's one more in there. Two thousand thirteen. He didn't make an album in two thousand thirteen. <laughs> yeah. Do you want me to show you the name of it? It's okay. You do, you don't need to be upset that you forgot that. Okay. <laughs> that's like that's like the most forgettable Jay Z album. It is, unless you had it downloaded directly to your phone. That was Finda Carta Holy Grail. Yeah, that one is very forgettable. Okay, you you mentioned an artist. Do you think do you think uh, Kevin has ever heard of this artist, Baby Keem? You wanted to say. Yeah, that's that's easy. If that artist is new to me. <laughs> Baby Keem, relation to Kendrick Lamar. Yeah, if you don't know, Baby Kim is actually uh, Kendrick Lamar's cousin. Okay, facts for Kevin. So then, first, The Sound of Bad Habit. Then, um, Die for My, I Can't Say That Other Word. (laughs) (laughs) And then, uh, The Melodical Blue. Melodic Blue. The Melodical Blue Deluxe. Okay, you said you also want to do Dr. Trey. It's still Dr. Dre Day. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All okay. right, what, what do you have? The Chronic 1999, 19, wait, no. No, no. The Chronic 2001, 2001 instrumental. Oh, Compton. 
You were you were saying the Chronic and two thousand one. The Chronic was first. Yeah. Okay. You said you also knew singles from Dr. Dre in there too. What is Dr. Dre's first appearance on Spotify? Six Gun. From what year? Nineteen eighty-seven. Okay. The af- aftermath, everybody forgets about that one. It's not not even. I, maybe it's listed or something besides Dr. Dre. It only has like seven. It only, that song only has seventeen thousand plays. I mean, because that one was technically credited to Death Row as a whole, right, or something like that. But it is true. We we've joked about this on the pod, I believe, that Dr. Dre at one point says on on two thousand one says my last album was the Chronic. Which is not not really true. At another point, he acknowledges that. Uh, uh, Without you weren't bumping me. Yeah, yeah. Which was we explain that two different artists were writing the verses for. I think maybe like Jay Z wrote one verse and Eminem wrote the other verse. Okay, speaking of Eminem, do you want to take a shot at early Eminem? You said you fall off at some point, which don't we all? F word no. <laughs> F word no. <laughs> You don't even want to try the early ones? The early ones. What What are the earliest Eminem albums you have? The earliest Eminem albums the earliest I know. Yeah. Okay, the earliest I can go back is 1999. Okay. And what album is that? The Slim Shady LP. Okay, followed by? The Slim Shady LP. Okay, <laughs> expanded. Okay, what about after that one? Uh, the Eminem show. No, there's one before then. Say the Marshall Mathers LP. I, the, what, the, the Marshall Mathers LP is what I meant by. Okay, by when you said the Slim Shady LP twice. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Do you know any after that? Iker. <laughs> what? I think the next one is called Iker. Iker. Yes. Oh, recover. Oh, encore. Oh yeah. Encore. Okay. And then relapse. Relapse. Yeah, relapse, then, uh, shit, I forgot the other one. <laughs> <laughs> shit, I forgot the other one. Uh, were there any other artists you wanted you wanted to name their albums on here? You want to try Drake? Oh, yeah, Drake, that's easy. <laughs> okay. Uh, I'm not going to show you. I first, uh... The way life's gone, I think the first one is called. So far gone. Oh uh, yeah, so far gone. Uh, thank me later. Take care. Uh, I feel like you're close to saying it. Um. Do you want me to show you the album cover? Nothing was the same. Did you get it before you got the album cover? Nothing was the same, and then uh, if you're reading this too late, it, it's too late. Uh-huh. What else? I forgot the other one in 2015. I've never even heard of that one, so. What's it not? Actually, oh, it's his record with Future. Okay. Yeah, but it was. What a time to be alive. And then after that, he made. Oh, I think he did, like, a big, big, like, year jump. Did you make one in 2016? Yep. 
with the CN Tower on the cover. Hotline Bling. Hotline Bling? Your dad once photoshopped yourself into the album cover. Or himself, I should say, not yourself. It has the song Hotline Bling on it. There's. Views. Views? That's moral life. After moral life, there. After moral life, there was a scorpion. Uh-huh. Uh, care package, I think. Mm-hmm. Then after care package. Then after care package, I think then was like a two-year jump to, um, honestly, never mind, then rich, then, uh, then her loss. Her loss? <laughs> Who's her loss mostly with? <laughs> Twenty one seven. <laughs> okay, talk in the microphone still. You said 21 Savage. Uh, oh, and the only I forgot Certified Lover Boy. Okay, Certified Lover Boy. That's pretty good. Certified Lover Boy. Right? Okay. Uh, any other any other artists you want to take a stab at here? Don't look at my phone. Macklemore. Okay, let's hear it. Uh, the language of my world. Very good. The heist. The heist. <laughs> oh, the... I don't know. The heist. You got that right. After the heist, I don't know. <laughs> Truly. <laughs> I true. Were you watching the Super Bowl at the point where Macklemore was used as bumper music coming in from break? No. <laughs> no, he wasn't. No, I wasn't. Do you remember that one right there without seeing it? He's like, I'm really not familiar. <laughs> Luca did get this one during yeah. the game because I could not remember the name of this album because Glorious yes, Glorious is what they used is the Yes Mars is the And that is the Gemini album. Gemini. Uh okay, any anybody else? You said you did soft rock. I was curious to hear about some of the soft rock that you did. I, I, I can't. I, I, yeah, yeah, I, I thought I that was I, wait, no, I forgot. Like I think Michael Mormon had like a C D recently called Ben, I think. A CD called Ben? Yeah, just Ben. Maybe he announced that that's the album that's coming. It's not out yet. Oh. You still have to talk in the microphone, though. Okay, I think I think Macklemore, like, is making a CD named Ben. A CD? You're the only six-year-old who knows what CDs are. <laughs> okay, any other artists? Do you want to talk some general music? <laughs> I know this physically hurts me, but... Oh, we should we should probably do Kanye. Kanye. Okay. Yeah. Okay, let's hear it. Kanye sucks. <laughs> <laughs> okay, aside from that, do you want to try naming his albums? This is something that I feel like you used to know pretty Yes. Um Uh oh the college dropout late registration graduation. Eight awaits and heartbreaks. And then after eight awaits. Oh after eight oh eights he made my my beautiful dark twisted fantasy, then Watch the Throne. Uh-huh. After Watch the Throne was Oh, The Life of Pablo. There's one before Life of Pablo. Shit. <laughs> Jesus! There we go. That actually helped. Okay, then the life of Pablo. After the life of Pablo and Jesus. 
then Jesus is king. Wait, yeah, Jesus. Wait, yeah, kids, he goes, Jesus is king. Danda. All right. Yeah. Yay. That's how that's pronounced. Who's kids he goes with? Kid. Kid. Kid Cuddy. <laughs> Kid Cuddy. Oh, Tyler. We have to do Tyler the Creator also. Tealer. Tealer. Yeah, that's what we call him usually. Tealer's a teaser. Mm hmm. I'm I'm sorry, Tyler the Creator. We don't listen to this. Yeah, I don't think he is. Uh, Gob. He's really concerned about Seattle's best donut. <laughs> Famously. Goblin. Goblin wolf. Then, uh. Ooh. Uh, uh, oh yeah. So um, <coughs> cherry bomb instrumental. Cherry bomb. Uh huh. <sighs> Igor. Nope, missed one. Well, I mean, yes, Igor, but the most bangingest Tyler record. It's on your wall. Flower boy. Flower Boy. Uh-huh. And then after Flower Boy was Igor, then he didn't make an album after you. Yeah, he did. There's a driver's license on the cover. Call me for gosh. There we go. Uh, I walked into your room last week. You had headphones on. What's the first single that Tyler has on Spotify? First single? Yeah. Bro, that's easy. Bro, that's easy. He, he made a single for Yonkers. There we go. <laughs> Bro, that's easy. I walked into your room last week. <clears throat> you were there with headphones on and your iPad, six years old, of course, laying on your bed. And what album were you listening to? Do you remember? Honestly, I don't know. Well, first off, I think you said you were listening to Lil Durk, and I was just like, Jesus Christ. Um, I, I was actually no. It was childish. It was childish Gambino. Do you remember what that album was called? Awaken my love. <laughs> Awaken my love. Do you do you want to do any more for Childish Gambino? I, I can do Childish. Okay, let's Cam hear. It. Camp. For some reason, he made an album for his song Heartbeat. It was just Heartbeat Remix. Uh huh. Then, uh, because of the internet. <laughs> <laughs> then what? Awaken my love. But then, like, That's pretty much it as far as full length albums. Uh, three, fifteen, twenty. Mm -hmm. I'm pretty good. I forgot what it's called. I don't know what that one's called. Kawhi is the one that was in between. Kawhi. Between there. Kawhi. I think Kawhi was actually like a mixtape. Kawhi was a mixtape. I mean. Yeah, that, that's the thing is because of the fact that the mixtapes aren't on Spotify. Kawhi was a mixtape, so we're not counting it. You don't know about the like pre-camp Gambino mixtapes or the the early Drake mixtapes that introduced him to the world. Oh yeah, I bet I could do J Cole. Okay, sure. J, J Cole. Okay, you want to do J Cole? This is where you want to end. J Cole's kind of hard. J Cole. <clears throat> J Cole's easy. Okay. <laughs> you have to start doing it. Okay, Cole World's a, st a side storyline. Uh, then after that, Born Born Sweeney? <laughs> <laughs> born Sinner. Born Sinner, then uh, Down 14, uh, Force Hills Drive. Is that your favorite? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. 
And then after that was 2014, wait, was Four Stones Drive live in New York City? Live in, from Fayetteville, North Carolina. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Okay, what's next? Ooh, I think next one was... Oh, next one is forgettable. You trying to cheat? God. God, K-O-D. After K-O-D was... Oh, shit, no. Oh, 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 the off season. There yeah. you go. There you go. Okay. What are some other tracks that you've been... That was, that was nice work, right? That was pretty good. I can't do that now. Not even close. <laughs> yeah, we're going to do it with Kevin with Bruce Springsteen albums. <laughs> All right, what what are what are some of your favorite tracks right now? Favorite tracks? Yeah, what have you been banging lately? What happened to Virgil? What happened to Virgil? Yeah. That's the little jerk track that you like. Yeah. What else? Workout by J. Workout by J. Cole. Uh huh. Empire State of Mind by Jay Z. Okay. That's really the only thing I've been listening to. Okay. Do you ever talk to your classmates about rap music? One time and only one time. What happened? <laughs> I just said like the name is. I just I just said Tyler the Creator in class. Yeah. What are the two albums that you have in your in your room? Good Kid, Mad City, and Flower Boy. Okay. What did you think of Rihanna's halftime performance, Tay? It was my least favorite halftime performance because Kanye West. Because Kanye's songs with Rihanna got played. Uh, how many halftime shows can you remember? What What is the best halftime show you've seen? I only remember one, and that's the one with uh, Mubal Dre and M. Yeah, last year. So it's uh, the worst out of the two halftime shows he remembers. <laughs> with what did you say, Whoop Dog? <laughs> Were you just Noop Dog? Noop Dog. <laughs> Nowadays, everyone will talk like they got something to say, but nothing comes out when they move the lips. But a jump, but a bunch of gibberish. And motherfuckers out of the country. All right, thank you so much for joining us, Mateo. <laughs> was that even recorded? Yeah, that was that was my six-year-old child, uh, a dynamite performance right there, ending it with an unprompted forgot about Trey. <laughs> Nowadays, you're running the time. Oh, you got something to one. say on the movie, the lips, but just a bunch of gibberish. Thank you. White people have been singing that for 24 years. Thanks for listening. <laughs>